If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. As we continue our Sermon on the Mount series, we'll be in verses 1 through 6 this morning. And this uh, text in Matthew chapter 7, it, it deals with relationships. You know, in, in this text, I think it's, it's our world's, uh, it's the world's favorite Bible passage to quote, uh, but probably the most uh, misinterpreted Bible passage that could be quoted. And so oftentimes we hear things like, doesn't the Bible say you're not supposed to judge, right? And so this is the passage that Jesus speaks to that particular issue, judging. And so the title of the message this morning is Building Kingdom Relationships. Uh, But before we read the text, I want to invite you to pray with me. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we approach your word this morning, God, would you open our eyes to see the truth of it? Lord, as we so often experience that we have blinders on when it comes to our own condition. We've even prayed about that this morning. And so, Lord, lift those blinders from our eyes. Help us, O Father, to see if there's a particular way that we are misinterpreting this passage that is so often misinterpreted when it comes to applying it to our own lives. We pray, God, that you would help us to see the truth of your word this morning. And, God, that you would change us and transform us. So, Lord, we pray that you would anoint our ears to hear, anoint my lips to speak, and be exalted in this place today, in each of our lives, O Lord. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. I want to invite you to follow along as I read. Jesus says to his disciples, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your your own eye, And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This morning, as we consider building kingdom relationships, I want us to see that God's generous grace toward us in Christ frees us to generously exercise grace toward others. Because of what Christ has done in our lives to redeem us, it should change us and transform us so that we then exercise that very generous grace that we have received toward others as we encounter them. And so what Jesus is calling us to do is to take note of the relationships that we have, of the way that we interact with others, of the way that we interact even with those in the world. And so how are we to understand this passage? We know the way that it's kind of thrown back at us oftentimes from the world's perspective. 
I laughed when I read one author's tongue-in-cheek example of, uh, of, of criticisms that pastors receive. I'll share them with you as I read them, and maybe you'll laugh as well. If the pastor is young, then people say, well, he lacks experience. If his hair is gray, then they say, well, he's too old for the young people. If he has five or six children, they say, well, he's irresponsible. And if he has no children, then they say he sets a bad example. If he uses a lot of illustrations, well, they say he neglects the Bible. And if he doesn't use any illustrations, then they say he's just not relevant. And if he condemns wrong deeds, often it's said that he's cranky. If he does not condemn wrong deeds, then it's said that he's compromising. If he drives an old car, he shames a congregation. If he drives a new car, then obviously he's setting his love on earthly things and not on heavenly things. And the list could go on and on. You know, it's funny to me because in truth, at various times in my ministry, I felt the pressure of some of these silly criticisms. But you know, the reality is, it doesn't matter your vocation, right? Criticism will find you. You cannot escape criticism today. In fact, it's so instinctual that oftentimes we don't even realize that we're thinking or speaking critically with with harshness about others until maybe we reflect on our attitudes or someone asks us, what do you mean? Or calls us out on a particular statement that we've made. Ken Hughes in his commentary says, a critical spirit, a judgmental, condemning spirit is endemic to the human situation. And if we're... If we're honest, this morning with ourselves, we've been well-educated in the school of modern-day criticism. From news media, to social media, to political races, we cannot escape criticism in some way, shape, or form. And so the challenge for disciples of Jesus, the challenge that we face is remaining kingdom-minded and remaining kingdom-focused when the overwhelming tone of what we hear and what we experience is overtly negative and critical. And so we've got some work to do. I mean, if we're going to be the kind of Christian that says we, we connect 365 days a year, right? We connect with community and with Christ and the church and and we're, we're living this faith out every day, all day, in all of our interactions. Then we've got some work to do to understand or exegete the culture that we live in and then to be used by God, by His Holy Spirit, to be change agents in the midst of that culture. Because the reality is when the world says, hey, you're not supposed to judge me, number one, In one sense, they're right, but in another sense, they're not right. I'll explain that more in a minute. But there's a reality that people aren't being won to the gospel because of the way that they see us looking down, maybe, Christians looking down, instead of reaching out in love, reaching out with grace, reaching out with mercy, And so how are we to understand and obey Jesus' teaching? Jesus is confronting. Here's what he's confronting. Jesus is confronting a critical spirit among his disciples, and he's he's teaching them how to live in such a way where they 
experience God's grace and extend that grace toward others. And I think his teaching is relevant for us, for the church today. And so first I want us to see this morning from verses 1 and 2. I want us to see that disciples of Jesus can have freedom from a critical spirit. I don't know if you've ever felt like you had a critical spirit or ever come to a a point of realization where you had uh, this kind of light bulb moment that said, I've got a critical spirit and this is wrong. It happened to me this weekend. I was with some guys fishing. I made a comment, a stupid comment that was prideful and arrogant after a conversation I had with someone. And so I'll spare you all the details, but I was challenged on it. And then I realized how dumb that was wrong. Realized that I needed to repent, so I apologized. But in the midst of all that, I thought to myself, no, I I even said it out loud. I said, you know, and I'm I'm preaching this Sunday on not judging others, and here I am doing what I'm preaching that I'm not supposed to do, right? You ever been there? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough when Andrew and I were talking about this morning. It's tough when you look in the mirror of God's Word and you see yourself reflecting back, right? So first we need to know that Jesus is teaching on how we are to treat one another. He's saying categorically, get this, he's saying, disciples are not judges. Let that sink in for a moment. Disciples are not judges. Now this doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to sin in someone's life. It doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to faults that someone has. It doesn't even mean that we pretend not to notice something. In fact, in Matthew 18, Jesus gives his disciples instruction for church discipline as a final measure of dealing with sin in order to bring about reconciliation in someone's life. So it it doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye. And it doesn't mean that we stop discerning between what's right and what's wrong. Scripture affirms even in the Sermon on the Mount, that we're to discern between kingdom living and worldly living. That we're to discern between truth and error. Look at verse 15. Beware, chapter 7, verse 15. Look at what Jesus says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits... Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So the problem, of course, is not with these verses. The problem is with our interpretation of these verses. And here's why. Because the world wants to interpret them hypocritically, verses, particularly verses 1 and 2. They want to interpret verses 1 and 2 and miss the mark of what Jesus is saying in verses 15 and 20, that standard of truth. And then believers want to skip what Jesus is saying in verses 1 and 2 and jump straight, straight to verses 15 and 20 and then say that we're to be fruit inspectors. Right? I mean, that's what's going on here. And so here's the challenge that we're to face, that we're to understand from Christ's word. It is that we are to extend grace to one another. We're to be generous with our grace, exercising mercy with one another. 
walking together with one another through trials and difficulties. And so Jesus is telling his disciples that here's the, that they must guard against being a censorious type of person. Censorious. If that's a new word for you, a censorious person is one who has a critical spirit. One who can be described as a fault finder. Someone that's harsh, someone that's negative toward other people. In fact, this censorious person actually delights in the failings of others. They're ungenerous when others make mistakes. They're inclined to assume poor motives in their dealings with others. They're unmerciful and they're ungracious. So here's what happens when we judge others. We assume, think about it, we assume a position of authority above someone else. And the problem with this is, we rarely, if ever, have all of the facts, right? We rarely have all of the facts. We may not even know the backstory of what's happened in that person's life. And so Jesus cautions us against a critical spirit that's unmerciful and and fault-finding, that's prideful and that's arrogant. An example might be you drive up to, or maybe you're in the grocery store, and you walk up uh, to the checkout counter. And the lady or the guy at the checkout counter has been having a really tough day. And they're mean to you. And maybe they're not dressed very neatly, shirts not tucked in, my shirt's not either, uh, their, um, maybe their shoes are untied or something, you know, and you, you notice these things that you're standing there, maybe, you know, uh, maybe their hair's not fixed and it's all messed up, and immediately, what do you do? You start sizing that person up. You start judging them. And you get frustrated if they're not fast enough, or if they drop your eggs, And you begin sizing this person up, and all of a sudden you're forming judgments and opinions about somebody. Now, you're thinking to yourself, this person needs to get their act together. But in reality, you don't know the backstory. You don't know what's happened to that person even that day. Maybe this is a job they need to keep. They can't afford not to to keep it. And and maybe their spouse left them. And maybe they've got three kids at home, right? I mean, the, the list could go on and on and on. And so we need to be cautious and careful of how we judge others, of what opinions we form about others. And so Jesus is challenging his disciples not to be unmerciful, and ungracious. Jesus cautions us against a critical spirit that's unmerciful. He cautions us not to be prideful and arrogant, not to be fault-finding type of people. You know, because what often happens in this interchange or this exchange is that we identify this group of sins that are okay. And generally, that group of sins That incorporates the things that we do, and so that's why they're okay, right? But then you've got this other group of sins that are not permissible, they're not okay, and that's what everybody else does. And so then we start to judge people based upon what things are okay for me, but not not the things that are okay for you, right? And so we begin to be 
this judge that has kind of an unfair scale and balance, don't we? We know that temptation all too well. And so for this reason, there's danger for the Christian. For this reason, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's challenging them not to be this type of critical person. You know, because Satan loves a critical spirit. And it only takes one of these kinds of people in the midst of a congregation to change the whole climate and ruin the entire congregation. And so the challenge for us, church, Crosspoint, believers, members of Crosspoint, the challenge of us for us is to examine ourselves against Christ's words, to make sure that we're not some sort of judgmental, censorious type of person, to look at our own lives and And ask questions like, am I merciful? Am I generous with grace toward others? And so Jesus is telling his disciples, they're not to assume the place of God by standing in judgment over someone else. To do that is to usurp God's place. Romans 14.10, Paul asks, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Are you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. I think John Stott's words are helpful at this point. The command to judge not is not a requirement to to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Jesus does not tell us to cease to be men, or women, by suspending our critical powers, which help to distinguish us from animals, but to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God by setting ourselves up as judges. So here's what Jesus is saying. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In verse 2, Jesus indicates some relationship between the way that we judge others and the judgment that we receive from God. Jesus is teaching that a person should expect to be treated by God in a similar way that they treat others. And so if a person judges harshly, she should expect harsh judgment from God. And if she judges mercifully, she should expect merciful judgment from God. I think also in the present, this kind of works out in, in a way as well by, by the fact that critical people invite criticism on themselves. And at least in part, I think part of God's judgment is that God simply allows the consequences of their sin to take over so that a critical, fault-finding type of person becomes a type of person that no one wants to be around. A type of person that can't even see the good that's happening around them. And eventually, they even become isolated from others. And this critical spirit just kind of keeps eating away. And so Jesus is challenging us not to have this type of critical spirit. Mounts, in his uh, lecture, ask this question. If we're not censorious people, if we are not censorious people, I wonder if God is less quick and more patient with us. I think the answer to that is yes. If we are not censorious people, 
I wonder if God is not more quick and more patient with us. Now the problem, the problem is this, that censorious people, these fault-finding, critical type of people, don't think they're censorious at all. In fact, we think, well, we have an opinion, and we're entitled to our opinion, and there's nothing wrong with having an opinion. We think that our opinion is justified. And the reality is it may be justified, and it may not be justified, but it doesn't mean that we can have a pass on doing a self-check about what Jesus is saying here in this text this morning. And so if you find that you're a critical person, let me urge you to seek God's deliverance and to seek for God to change you, to transform you, to change your heart. Secondly, this morning, I want us to see that disciples of Jesus must guard against hypocritical living. Disciples of Jesus must guard against hypocritical living. Jesus uses hyperbole in verses 3 through 5 to illustrate this truth. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Now, for if you don't know, what Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about the beam in a house, like the main beam. And hyperbole is that he's really exaggerating this picture for us to just to see, to grapple with, right? And so there's this big plank, this big beam coming out of your eye, and there's this little bitty tiny fragment of a splinter in your neighbor's eye. And he's saying what you're doing is you're, you've got this big beam sticking out of your eye, but All the while, you're pointing out the splinter that's in your brother's eye or your sister's eye. And so what Jesus is saying is, first, go and address the plank, that's this beam that's sticking out of your eye. And then what you'll do, what you'll find, is that you're able to see much more clearly on how to address the splinter that is in your brother or your sister's eye. I don't know about you, but when I get something in my eye... uh, I have to stop what I'm doing. It, I mean, it blinds me for, for, for a moment. I can't see. My vision's all blurry. It happens to me a lot when I wear, you know, because I wear contacts. And so I've got to get an eyelash or something in my eye. It's just painful. So I've got to stop. I've got to get it out, right? Uh, and then once I do, I can see clearly again. And this is an example of what it means to remove something from our eye, this foreign object. And once we do, then we can, we can see clearly to navigate, to, to help others. And so the point that Jesus is making is that when we're blinded by our stubbornness to turn from our own sin, we can't see to help our brother or our sister who is in need. And often what we do is we allow ourselves to remain blinded by remaining in our own sin And the way that we make ourselves feel better about our current position, our predicament, is that we look at the sins of others and we judge ourselves next to them instead of with the standard of God, right? 
And when we judge ourselves next to somebody else, well, our sins don't look so bad, right? And so what Jesus is saying is, no, first, address the sin, address the plank that's in your eye, and then you'll see clearly to help your brother or your sister out. And so the one who focuses first on removing the log from their own eye will have enough to work on, I think, without passing judgment on others. And one of the ways that we do this is we do it by pursuing righteousness. By pursuing righteousness. Think about the Beatitudes, right? Realities for kingdom living. The Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Flip back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 2. Jesus opened his mouth. He began teaching his disciples, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This idea of of mourning and being poor in spirit is recognizing who we are before God, recognizing our condition before God, that we, in fact, are sinners in need of God's grace and redemption. And so when we realize that we are poor in spirit and we mourn over our sin, it is God who is comforting us. And in one sense, in essence, what Jesus is saying by remove the plank from your eye is recognize and understand that you are sinful before God. Deal with that sin in your life. Then you'll be able to see clearly how to build healthy and fruitful relationships within the kingdom of God. If we've got a bunch of members at Crosspoint who go around pointing out the splinters in everybody's eye without first addressing the root issue of our own sin, then we would be a church that was greatly divided, right? But the reality of what Jesus is saying here is that as disciples of Christ, we need to pursue righteousness. And when we pursue righteousness then we'll deal with the sin in our lives and we'll be less likely to, 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 have, to exercise judgment on others and we'll be more likely to come alongside somebody and help them walk through a particular struggle that they're going through. And the way that we do this is we do it by confessing our own sin. And when we confess our own sin we receive spiritual healing. So we do this by confession of sin for our spiritual healing. So when we first rightly judge ourselves, we first remove the log from our own eye, that is confession of sin. Then we can begin the process, right, of spiritual healing. We can begin the process of of evaluating and opening ourselves up before holy God and letting him deal with us by his Holy Spirit. And then we're able to pursue righteous living. When we see ourselves holy, that is completely dependent upon God and his mercy and his grace toward us, then we begin to see others as they are, right? Not in need of, of Nick's judgment, That's not what the person struggling in sin is in need of. They're not in need of my judgment. They're in need of God's mercy. How can I bring them to the waters of mercy? How can I bring my brother and sister in Christ to a place where they recognize their sin and they confess it? They don't need us to judge them. They need us to love them. 
They need someone to walk with them to the good shepherd. They need someone who's going to care for them. So when we live confessional lives, when we're pursuing righteousness in our lives, then we're ready and willing not to point the finger, but to put our arm around a brother, our arm around a sister, and say, let's walk together. I want to help you walk through this. And I think it's at this point that instead of judging our brothers and sisters, what, what actually happens is that we weep for them. We weep for them as we weep for our own sin before a holy God. And it changes the dynamic of these kingdom relationships. It changes the dynamic of what it means to connect 365 it changes the dynamic of our evangelism to a lost world. It means that we pursue Christ with, with all that we have. And we're no longer struggling to see clearly how to help our brother or sister remove the splinter or the speck from their eye. You know why? Because we've been able to see clearly because we've removed the log from our own eye. We're no longer seeking to justify our sin by the standard of others. Now, we have come before Holy God, confessed our sin before Him, acknowledged how desperate we are for Him, and we've received His mercy, and we know His grace, and now we're, we're bringing that to one another. And so Jesus says, remove that, remove that plank. And then you can see clearly. But don't go and try to remove the splinter without removing the plank. We do this also. We, we guard against hypocritical living by extending mercy toward others. Verse 5. Chapter 7, verse 5. You hypocrite, he says. First, right, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is here talking about covenant relationships. Notice that he, he calls the person with the speck in their eye the brother, right? Your brother. You can substitute sister there. Your, your brother, your sister. And what's Jesus getting at? He's talking about this way of relating to one another, covenant family members, and so here's the thing about it. It takes diligent work, church. It takes hard work. It takes prayerful work. It takes intentional, loving accountability. It takes an investment of time. And it takes a relationship. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus came to earth. He took God's judgment upon us and upon our sin, and he has given us this grace. He has lavished his grace upon us. And he has exercised, God has exercised great mercy toward us through Christ. And when Christ suffered on the cross and died, 
He satisfied God's wrath against our sin, and He paid the penalty due us. And so God has lavished His generous grace to us through Christ, and because of God's grace to us, now we are free to extend that mercy and to extend that grace towards one another. This is the beauty and the wonder of what Jesus Christ has done. He has made it possible for us to experience God's grace and to extend that grace to others. Are you the kind of person that extends mercy to others? Church, are we the kind of people that extend mercy to others? Are you the kind of person that's generous with grace? Are you the kind of person that is the fruit inspector? Which one more aptly describes your character and your condition before God and before one another? The power of Christ can change you from being a critical person to being a gracious person. I don't know about you, but truly, truly, I want to be the kind of person that kind of has as my my default setting to assume the best about people and to assume the best in others. Well, finally, this morning, verse 6 gives us the challenge of being discerning people. Disciples of Jesus must learn discernment. And in verse 6, lest the disciples get the wrong idea, or lest we get the wrong idea, Jesus gives the disciples guidance. I mean, in Matthew 5.43, Jesus has already exhorted his disciples to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. And then coupled here with with chapter 7, verse 1, it it could be interpreted and understood that, that, that we're just to be kind of a pushover, a, a simpleton. And what Jesus is saying is that's not the case at all. He's saying to be wise. In fact, Proverbs 9.8 says, Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Right? Don't, don't rebuke a fool in his folly. Or the two animals he talks about here in verse 6, the, the, the dog and the pig, not, not giving what is holy, that which is sacred to dogs. Right Now, dogs weren't pets like we think of today in our homes domesticated. They were wild beasts that ran around. They were unclean. They ate filth that was on the street. They ran in wild packs. And the same thing for pigs. Don't think of a, you know, a, a guinea pig that you buy as a pet. Think of a wild boar. That's out in the wilderness. And these are ravaging animals. Not to mention, they're also unclean. And so what Jesus is saying is, don't give those things which are sacred and holy and right to those who will destroy them and take them and twist them. There's even a parallel here for those who are rejecting the gospel and persecuting believers. I think we need to be wise about how and when we're sharing the gospel with others. That's not to give us a pass on sharing the gospel. We need to be sharing the gospel and evangelizing the lost. But it is to say that we need to be wise about how we engage with others. We need to be wise in discerning 
being careful not to throw before those who will take, take things and trample them under feet, those who will twist and, and rip and shred things apart. And so when taken together, verses 1 through 5 and verse 6, they give us an understanding of how we as believers are to be discerning in our daily living. This morning, maybe for you, maybe you've realized that there is a particular area in your life where you are critical of others. Maybe you've realized this morning that God has convicted you that you're a critical type of a person. Maybe you're not very gracious or not wanting to extend mercy to others. Maybe that's a conviction that the Lord has placed upon your heart and you need to confess before Him that you want to change, that you want to be different. I want to invite you this morning to do that. Confess that before the Lord. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, he's never, you've never surrendered your life to Him, let me encourage you that first, that must happen in your life before you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to actually be changed and transformed. Because it's the Holy Spirit's power at work in you, in us, that changes us according to God's Word. And so if you've looked into the mirror of God's Word this morning, and what you've seen is that your image of God is distorted. And that there's a, a time this morning that you need to confess before Him the sin that He has revealed to you. I want you to know that you can do that this morning. While the music is playing, you take time to just confess before the Lord. You can do it right where you're at. You can even come forward and kneel on the steps. And I also want you to know that if you have questions about what it means to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I would love to talk to you more about that chances are that it needs to be more of a conversation than just happens right here this morning. Uh, And so we can talk, and I'd be willing to talk with you about what it means to surrender your life to following Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to come, and I want you to respond as the Lord's leading you this morning. Let us pray together. Would you bow with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness toward us. Thank you, Jesus, that you've ultimately demonstrated how we are to extend grace and mercy toward one another. We thank you, God, that you don't desire for our condemnation, but you actually desire for us to experience life and peace and health, to be reconciled to you. Even as 2 Peter 3.9 says that you're patient with us, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Help us, Father, to see our role and our responsibility, our, our calling from you to be ambassadors in this world, to be used of you to proclaim your glory and to make your fame known through the way that we interact with others. So God, guard our hearts from being critical. Let us not be censorious type of people. But Lord, let us, let us be humble, gentle, those who assume the best in others, teach us, God, to be, to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit's leading. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?